You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, we have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement. You visit dlbasementsystems.com. Welcome to Big Show Hour 4. I'm Patrick Dumas. We've got Connor and GVP in the other room. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We're going to pause the TANAV talk for just a little bit here. We're going to shift over to uh, some soccer chat here with uh, Alexander Gagne-Ruzik, uh, web editor over at uh, One Soccer and uh, at the Third Sub and Northern Football Podcast. Alex, thanks so much for taking some uh, time out of your morning and chatting some uh, footy with me. Yeah, no worries. Always a pleasure. Yeah, man. We got some uh, some news, a little bit of breaking news from uh, from Soccer Canada this morning. Uh, they've uh, hired a new general secretary and CEO in Kevin Blue. I know it's 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 very uh, it's very new and fresh in in your mind as well. But uh, this is a guy that he was a CEO over at Golf Canada. He was an athletic director uh, at University of California Davis down in the NCAA. Uh, this is a, a young hire and uh, something that seemingly Canada wants to go forward to. This guy knows athletics. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, you know, that's obviously the first impression reading mm-hmm. through, uh, you know, former Golf Canada CSO, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he had some experience in, in the college uh, department as an athletic director, uh, you know, extensive uh, experience in that regard, appears to have a good balance of, of business and, of course, sport, maybe not soccer specifically, mm-hmm. but I think that's, that's interesting to see go for more of a sport business hire, because I think you look at a lot of the issues that you know the the potential new general secretary was going to face over the last six months you know there's a lot of uh you know questions on the financial side mm-hmm. uh, you know how's how you, how's the the federation going to navigate some of these tough questions they face financially uh, you know on the business side making sure everything's balanced everything's uh the, you know dealing with the books it felt like that's been a lot of the bigger uh, issues. So, you know, someone with a more of a business background balance with sports uh, does make sense for them to to target that. And, you know, perhaps that, that'll be what they need to, to clean up some of those things so that uh, the, they can focus more on, on getting the, the best financial uh, situation possible to, to get the most out of the sports side. Absolutely. It's just finding stability with uh, with Soccer Canada, just uh, the, the way both the men's and women's programs are right now. It would just be a failure to the athletes that uh, that the the uh, the upper management and the, the guys up top in the suits are are making it tough on everybody. But hopefully uh, Kevin Blue can be the one that can uh, usher in that new leadership uh, for Soccer Canada going forward. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll stop there. Uh, still waiting on new, more news from that. But uh, we'll talk about uh, some CPL here to start Cavs uh, coming out of their First ever appearance down in the CONCACAF uh, Champions Cup. They fall 6-1 on aggregate uh, to Orlando City. They had some chances definitely, in the, especially in the first leg out in Langford. And then uh, they had they finally got a goal down in Orlando on Tuesday. But just the quality of the MLS side shows through in the end. And I, it was all about learning to play at this stage. But uh, what was your thoughts, uh, your takeaways from uh, Cavalry's first foray into uh, a domestic competition? Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, definitely a lot to learn. I think that was always going to be the expected outcome, especially when you draw a team like Orlando. Uh, you know, Orlando is just any MLS team. It feels like this Orlando team on paper, some of the signings they've mm-hmm. made, how they performed last year. This is a team where I could see them finishing top three in the East. I could see them pushing for an MLS Cup. I thought they were going to make an MLS Cup final last year, and they were they were close to, to pushing mm-hmm. uh, in the playoffs. 
So this is a good team, and I think that was immediately the big thing. I was lucky enough to be at leg one. Of course, out in Starlight, would have loved to have it in Calgary, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> unfortunately it wasn't meant to be. And, yeah, that was the first thing I was really, you know, surprised and noticed that immediately you don't really see it that often, but it was the speed of play was mm-hmm. immediately in Orlando's favor, the fitness. It was, it was wild to see in person just that fitness show up over the after the first 20 minutes. Even you could say, oh, yeah, Orlando – They've been training. They've been running a little more. They've been playing at this speed already in preseason. Maybe oh, yeah. for Cows, we could kind of see, like, yeah, they're, they're, this is kind of the first time they're playing at this speed. Tommy Wilden Jr. had mentioned they'd been doing friendlies against local university teams, yeah. which, you know, while solid preparation, it's just not going to match what Orlando is doing, which is playing Brazilian sides, playing other MLS yeah. sides, getting up to, to speed in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely the big thing, the speed. And, uh, you know, as well, the execution. Because mm-hmm. Calvary, yeah, in the first leg, especially what they're playing them even, they're going toe-to-toe. But at one end, Calvary would there'd be a chance to pass, chance to shoot. Maybe they didn't take it. Orlando would step in, defend it well, and then it just felt like they'd immediately take the ball. They noticed some weaknesses in Calvary's game. They noticed that, okay, maybe if we get in behind them, they're playing a little aggressive. Let's try to go wide, try to be direct. They'd catch Cavalry by surprise. They did, and man, every time it, they got a half chance, they seemed to, to yeah. take. And I think that was the the difference with how ruthless they are. Then that, that's where that talent comes in. That's where that fitness, all of that kind of seemed to came come to play with the the six one aggregate. But Cavalry had moments. Yep. They scored a goal, and it was a very well taken goal. But ultimately, uh, it just felt like over 180 minutes, Orlando uh, just, just really out, outlasted them and uh, took took advantage of every moment they had. Yeah, and it's it is uh, it was kind of maybe maybe expected, but uh, it, again, like I mentioned earlier, it's all about figuring out how to play against these guys. And it was the first time a Canadian C- uh, CPL team was playing an American MLS side, so uh, good on Tommy Wilden and the boys. Uh, now they head out, get ready for a little bit more sp- uh, training camp before uh, the CPL season starts up in, in April here. And kind of want to, what's your uh, your handicap on this upcoming CPL season? Obviously, Cavalry returns essentially the same starting eleven that uh, took them to the final last. Year. They won the North Star, North Star Shield for uh, for first place. But just overall, where do you see Cavalry shaking out in the CPL? I know Forge is still there. Atletico Ottawa is a good side as well. York's coming up. It's a good league, uh, top to bottom. It's strong. Yeah, it's, 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 there's some some good improvement across the board too, which is uh, which is nice, right? I think Halifax. Uh, you know, they were already one of the best teams yeah. last year. With a completely turned over roster, they've been picking around the edges of that. Pitchers, Geyser's back. I'd expect them to push for a regular season title. Ottawa, like you mentioned, have made all the. They've definitely won the off season. Mm-hmm. I think with some of the signings, uh, you know, they've made to bolster that roster from Debrienne to Blue Tabla. You know, Ryan Yesley, you name it. Those are some some great CPL experience, and then some also outside experience. Uh, so I'd watch them. Uh, you know York, of course, as well, making some new, some good new signings. They've got new ownership, yeah. right? The, the, there's reason for for new life there. You can never co- count out a Bobby Spurnotis coach Forge team, even mm. though they lost some key pieces. You just know they're gonna find a way to step up, and I feel like they're not done there as well in the signing department, which will will, will bolster their case. Uh, you know Valor. Uh, you know tough to gauge with them, they, yeah. but they've gone and got a lot of CPL <laughs> experience, which you know maybe perhaps that's what Phil DeSantos felt they needed. But he, again, with him at the helm, they were always competitive. It just felt like they needed some more goals. So if they feel that Sean Hundall, uh can provide that, they'll be they'll be better off this year. Heck, Vancouver FC has just been collecting all the the local mm-hmm. players mm-hmm. here as well, and 
then lastly, you got Pacific. Uh, you know, again, it's they've they lost a lot of key pieces. They might be the team that's due for the biggest fall, but also a James Merriman coach team. He's been in this league since day one. Mm-hmm. They've still got some core pieces. Honestly, looking across the board at those eight teams, based on what we know, I think the big three are kind of big four to watch right now. Uh, you know, it's Ottawa, it's Cavalry, it's 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 you know, it's uh, it's Halifax, and because you can't count them out, it's Forge. Mm-hmm. And I think Cavalry is in a pretty good state. I'd put them as you know, probably a, an early favorite to, to, to finish near the top again the regular season because they've got the same team and they've added depth to it. But it definitely feels like this could be a very balanced, uh, you know, run at that, that regular season title. Because, yeah, last year you saw a few teams like, okay, there's maybe some weaknesses. But, yeah, genuinely now you see five, six, seven teams who could all make a run at that, that regular season crown. Yeah, it'll be a fascinating watch. April 13th, uh, Forge and Cavalry. That'll be Cavs' first match out in Hamilton. Uh, let's talk uh, some Canada here. The U20 uh, men's team, they qualified for the CONCACAF Championship uh, last night with a big win over Trinidad. Uh, Kayvon Ta- uh, Tavernier uh, from Forge, uh, he definitely won to watch here going forward. But uh, how's this U20 group uh, looking as uh, this is the next crop and heading towards 2026? These are some guys that could be making some uh, some headway. Yeah, it was definitely a good showing. Of course, you know, these qualifiers... Uh, Canada was expected to, to to walk through them, but it was this this final game with Trinidad and Tobago was supposed to be close uh, in the draw for these qualifiers. Canada was like the lowest pot one team. Trinidad mm-hmm. and Tobago was the bit highest pot two team. They're virtually identical in the rankings, so it was a good chance. Kind of, you know, there was a chance on paper it was going to be a very close game. I think it's good to see Canada win three nothing, take care of business. In Trinidad and Tobago, I may add, mm-hmm. uh, and so far I'm, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing from this this group because now, of course, the real test will be the summer at the Concacaf Championships. Twelve teams, essentially the top twelve teams in Concacaf now. Uh, the top four teams go to the U20 World Cup. Canada hasn't been since '07, which of course they automatically earned a spot at. Yeah. Host. They were hosting, <laughs> so <laughs> definitely, definitely, it's been a rough, a rough ride since. So they haven't been able to get back. Uh, but there's a few things to be encouraged about with this team. Um, firstly, they're solid defensively, as they always seem to have been over the last few years. That was, for example, the last cycle. They were solid. They were competitive in every game. Goals is really what hurt them. And so far, there seems to be a few players who can really put the ball in the net. Kavon Tavernier, we've already seen him score a pro goal. He scored a couple in this tournament. Looks very lively on the wing. You know, there's some options like Tavio Ciccarelli. He's a striker in the Sheffield United system. He had a hat-trick in one of the games this camp. Look like he can be someone who can, uh, you know, take the ball, dribble out of trouble, get some shots off. Uh, you know, you have Miles Morgan, you know, former TFC product. Uh, also sounds like he's been in the Brentford system over in England. Uh, also a forward. He scored a hat, uh, you know, he scored a hat trick in game one. He added a, a key goal. He scored the goal that essentially sent them to, to the CONCACAF championships. He just seems like a very good finisher, one-time finisher. Those are the skills you want to see. Uh, you know, you, you continue. You got players like Jesse Costa, who's very creative. He can he can make those dangerous passes. Kamani Stewart Baines was dangerous every time the ball was at his feet. Uh, the Colorado Rapids draft pick, and lastly, the big standout up front was Santiago Lopez. Okay. He's a forward playing down in Pumas in Liga MX. He was on no one's radar in terms of you know being Canadian eligible, but he'd already played professionally multiple times for Pumas, which is one of the top yep. Liga MX teams over the last few years. Uh, and he, it showed in this in this tournament. You could see that pro quality. Scored some absolutely stunning goals, uh, to, to you know, including one in the deciding game, an absolute beauty from a tight angle. And 
he, he's got that pro quality in his dribbling and his movement and, and, and everything. And also what's key is that he's a fighter. He, 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 mm. he was willing to stick up for his teammates, dive in tackles, and just do all those things that will really endear him to coaches and teammates. So he feels like he could really be someone to, to lean on in those, those qualifiers this summer. That's good to hear. Like, it just, it just feels like it just only 10 years ago, it was like, who are these guys? Like, who, did we even have a chance now? It's just there's so much talent, and we're just waiting to see these guys get to bigger clubs and show off their skills. We're talking with Alexander Gagne, Ruzik, uh, web editor over at One Soccer and the third sub in Northern football podcast uh the women's side they're currently going on in the gold cup absolutely dominant performance in the group stage uh 13 goals conceding zero uh they ended up being seated first uh overall and then they're gonna end up playing costa rica again here in the in the knockout stages as they get their preparations ready uh for the summer in in paris yeah no it's been uh as expected so far in Mm -hmm. business getting the job done. And I think that's been good just to see Canada kind of continue to, to shine in CONCACAF, you know, maybe uh, of course, uh, maybe outside CONCACAF, that's where Canada's going to certainly uh, want to continue to grow ahead yes. of the Olympics, but within CONCACAF, it's good to see them assert that dominance. I mean, they cruise through the group stages, three wins, you know, 13 goals, zero against so those are all stats you want to see. And, uh, because of that, they're, they're the top seed heading into the knockouts. What's cool about this Gold Cup is that it was seeded. Uh, basically, every group stage game mattered instead of having it predetermined who you might play in the knockouts. It's the top seed plays the eight seed, et cetera, like you know, like an NHL playoff, yeah. like, like used to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they'll play Costa Rica again, which is kind of funny that the seeding determined them to, to play Costa Rica, who literally. One, there was a tiebreaker. They had to draw lots last night to, to determine yep. this, which I haven't seen in a while. But so far, they look on track to at least make the semis. The only thing about this seeded format that hurts them is that the U.S. had a rough group stage. Uh, so as things stand, if Canada takes care of business this weekend against Costa Rica, mm. they'll probably play the U.S. in the semifinal. And I know they've typically struggled in these sort of uh, knockout games against the U.S. within CONCACAF competition. I mean, the U.S. this tournament only lost their first game uh, against CONCACAF competition uh, on home soil and since 2000 or something like that, 24 years. So wow. this is still a team that typically does well at home. So for Canada, uh, that's definitely going to be the big test to watch. But I think that'll be good for them because they've shown since the World Cup, they've tightened things up defensively. They're generating more chances competition across the forward line is very high there's youngsters stepping up we've seen Simeon Wujo, Jade Rose have great tournaments so far Adriana Leon's really coming yes. to her own as a main goal scorer Chloe Lacasse was a was a big storyline over the first few games Olivia Smith is shining uh so hopefully now we can see all these players tested again against Costa Rica but I think a matchup against the U.S. would really be a good gauge of okay, this is where the formation change that Canada's gone mm-hmm. through. This is where the, some of these tweaks they've made, can they really go up against the likes of a U.S. and, and, and continue to play that way? And, and looking ahead towards uh, Paris in the summertime, there's still obviously a ton of time that can happen. There's injuries that can crop up and whatnot, and it's a good group that will be waiting for them over there in Paris. How do you think Canada should be uh, favored? Like, I don't, I don't know if they should be the gold medal favorite heading into this, but should they be on the, hey, we can medal heading into this tournament? Yeah, 100%. I think looking at the favorites, I think it has to be Spain who yeah. qualified for the Olympics. So I think their first time, the defending World Cup champions, they've been running over everyone in Europe and they've done so again this window. But look, after that, the, the field will be pretty competitive. And mm-hmm. I think for Canada, 
especially the way they're playing right now, where they've gone up against the likes of Brazil, Australia. You know, they've, they've looked good as well in those games against a good Jamaican side that caused problems uh, at the World Cup before. Of course, some issues in their federations kind of yeah. hurt them lately. I think this Canadian team, there's no reason why that can't be a medal threat again, especially uh, the, the, the format really helps them because it's a lot easier to make the knockouts at this this, this Olympics with it being 12 teams, mm-hmm. third place teams have a chance to go through. It feels like for Canada, one thing that unfortunately, you know, at the World Cup with the, the 32 teams, top two teams get out, you know, they, they didn't make it to the knockouts and that's too bad. I feel like that's where they're best suited to play is those knockout games where yeah. sometimes, you know, they're comfortable playing in these nil-nil games where you just grind it out, you defend well and you take your chances at the other end. Uh, where sometimes in those group stage games, there's pressure to score goals because you need to get those wins. And I think of how against Nigeria, they weren't able to get their goals. They, they you know, you drop a nil-nil, all of a sudden your, your pressure's on for the next game yeah. because you need to win, you need to win, and it catches up to you. Where these Olympics, you get, all you need is, is one win, it feels like to, to already start thinking about the knockouts. And I think this Canadian team continues to be suited for knockout football. Hopefully, of course, they show it first at the Gold Cup. And then I think uh, if they can, they can do that at the Olympics. There's, there's no reason why they can't be a medal threat. Uh, uh, stop the conversation on the uh, on the national team for a second. We'll, we'll shift over to uh, Real Madrid, Alfonso Davies. They've agreed on verbal terms. Now it's just about getting Bayern the right fee how how is uh, like the biggest player on, in Canada potentially on his way to the uh, the biggest club in the world? Uh, that that's that's going to be an interesting move if that happens either in the summertime or potentially next winter's uh, transfer deadline uh, window. Yeah, it's definitely uh, exciting times for an Alfonso Davies. Um, look, it's always tough to imagine someone leaving a club like Bayern. I mean, one of the best clubs in the world, biggest clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the serial winners. They want to win. They have deep teams. It's hard to imagine leaving that, right? But honestly, if there's if, if there places to leave to, to, to go from there, there aren't many better on what is a very short list than Real Madrid, a team that also serially just wants to win trophies, attract the best talent, attract the mm-hmm. best young talent too, right? You see the likes of Jude Bellingham, oh, yeah. Vinicius Jr. Uh, in that team, a team that wants to attract Mbappe, that's wanted to attract the likes of Holland. You hear all these names they're linked to. It's exciting to see that. Okay, they also see if someone like an Alfonso Davies is compatible with this project that they're they're building, and mm. I think that's exciting because it feels like of the teams that he could have chose to left with Bayern, this is one where you're like, okay, he can still take a step forward from here. Of course, yes. at Bayern, you can become a club legend. You can continue to overcome the ups and downs that that occur at a club like that. And look, there's still a chance he ends up there. But with this Real Madrid move. Uh, he can go to a club where the pressure is immense. Like you're going to have to keep your spot every week. Uh, there's this pressure that even if you lose one game, uh, you know the, the fans. Like uh, there's just such this pressure to win mm-hmm. every week, uh, win Champions Leagues. I think for Davies, just having a bit of that consistency of having that every week. Look at Bayern, that expectation is there, but it's also felt like over the last few years. Davies has just made that left back spot his own for better or for worse, because he's always locked in the start, but sometimes there isn't always that competition. And you've wondered if maybe that's what he's needed a bit just Mm -hmm. to get a little kick to find that next year. He'll definitely get that at a club like, like Real Madrid. And you know, what's going to be key there too, is with the young group, he's going to have to really step into that leadership role at Bayern. Ever since he's been there, there's always been Lewandowski. There's always been Muller. There's Mm -hmm. always been Neuer 
kind of take some of that responsibility, whereas at a Real Madrid, with how young that group is, you'd have a chance to really step up and work alongside of these, you know, these Bellinghams, these Valverdes, uh, you know, these, these, these Camavingas and all this young generation oh, yeah. that's coming through, Vinicius, of course, and also take some steps on the leadership uh, side of his game. So, look, I think it's definitely, if, we, if he's leaving a club like Bayern, club like Real Madrid is kind of the, the, the kind of landing spot you'd want to see him go from there. Yeah, you see you hit it nail right on the head there. The internal competition that he can have at Real can only drive him uh, to be a better player, uh, not only at Real, but representing Canada at big tournaments. And then last point here, on Canada, the men's national team, they obviously have to play Trinidad and Tobago uh, in a little under a month here for the Copa America qualifier. What happens if, I know they're the favorite heading into that Trinidad game, but what happens if something happens, they fall in that game and they miss out on Copa America? Just how much of a hit would that be to this uh, this national team who's, again, we're just a couple years out from the World Cup? Oh, this would be devastating. I think this is, again, this feels like one of the biggest games. Yeah. Uh, you could argue really in their history it just might because be. of what's at stake very well. Like, because, yeah, you win this game, you you get another one of the biggest games in your history. Mm-hmm. Argentina. Argentina <laughs> defending World Cup champions, defending Copa America champions, yeah. Messi. Like, it all speaks for itself out of Copa America. Competitive. You're not just playing them in some, some friendly where Messi might show face for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you, you throw out the bench squads. No, this is a competitive Copa America game. You're already qualified for the 2026 World Cup. You don't have to worry about this. Between now and then, we've seen it with hosts. Some of the issues they've struggled with is there aren't many competitive games that, that are available to you when you're host, right? So you, you skip qualifiers, so you're only able to book friendlies, which, while great preparations, you get to play high-level teams, it's just not the same as getting get gifted this potential opportunity to play in the marquee South American tournament. For my money, one of the toughest domestic tournaments, yeah. or, or sorry, continental tournaments that there's out there, right? Like, you look at the Euros, you look at AFCON, like Copa America is one of the top just mm-hmm. in terms of how competitive the level and now you have a chance plus the way it's already laid out too like I think maybe this is a bit different if they drew you know they drew a group of uh, Panama and you know Bolivia and this, this, something like that no this mm-hmm. is a group where you got Argentina which is the exact sort of test you want to see Canada just you know go go up against mm-hmm. even if they lose 3 4 nothing. see that level of wow this is what a world champion plays like along with two very stiff, you know, solid but doable tests in Peru and Chile. Like, it's the perfect group, too, as well, to add to that. Uh, And, again, if you miss out in this tournament, the only competitive games you get between now and the World Cup are Nations League and the Gold Cup, which Canada's kind of already shown that, yes, they need to go prove that they can win trophies in that competition, but other than that, they've kind of proven that on most nights they should be able to beat the, the rest of CONCACAF with ease. Well, let's see. Let's hopefully they can prove that once again with this TNT game because, man, this Copa America, the potential it provides, it feels like endless in terms of yeah. what this Canadian team will need to, to compete against those top-level teams. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Alex, for taking uh, some time out of your morning and chatting some uh, Canada football with me. Uh, what's uh, What you got going on, cooking with your podcast and over at One Soccer? Yeah, for sure. Definitely, uh, you know, lots, lots coming down the pipeline with that Canadian game coming next month, of course been very focused on the gold cup uh, and everything that's uh, been been going on with the, the women's national team so definitely more national team heavy start yes. with the domestic season slowly starting to come into play so excited as well to, to have that back out here in vancouver we'll be heading to 
Whitecaps this weekend. Yes. So it'll be nice to, to start regularly hitting some live football after I got to catch Calories uh, early season game in, in the Champions Cup. All the best, Alex. So I will do this again very soon, buddy. Uh, enjoy the Whitecaps and uh, Charlotte. They're playing Charlotte on Saturday? Yep, playing okay. Charlotte. So there you go. Yeah. Be a good game. That'll be awesome. Yeah, enjoy it. And uh, we'll do this again very soon. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you very much, Patrick. There you go. Alexander Gagne-Ruzic, uh, web editor at Wetland Soccer and uh, podcast, Third Sub, and the Northern Football Podcast. Around the corner, uh, we'll pick up the Tanev conversation with Derek Neumeyer from McKean's Hockey. He knows a little bit about uh, uh, Artem Grushnikov, uh, the prospect that the Flames acquired in the trade yesterday with the Dallas Stars, and a little bit more on uh, this trade and what else uh, the Flames can do ahead of uh, next Friday's NHL trade deadline. That's next as Big Show Hour 4 continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. Big show hour four breaking down uh, the Flames trade of Chris Tanev last night to the Dallas Stars. Uh, one more of their UFAs out the door. There's one more left in uh, Noah Hannafin. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but to get more on the uh, Tanev trade and uh, what to expect from uh, this prospect that the Flames are receiving, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, and we are joined uh, by the Assistant Director of Scouting and Head Western Scout from McKean's Hockey, Derek Newmeyer. Derek, thanks so much for uh, taking some time out of your morning and chatting with us. How you doing? Hey, Patrick. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Yes, yeah, we had you on earlier in the week uh, talking a little bit about uh, some prospects and whatnot uh, and some hitmen guys to talk about. But now we've got a trade to break down, and you were uh, you were big into the Dallas Stars. You covered them for a good chunk of your career. Uh, first thought, initial thoughts on the trade. Uh, it feels like it's a split base here down the fan base. It's like, yeah, you got something for uh, for an aging player who is a pending UFA, but then it's like, well, he was the best defenseman, defensive defenseman on the market. You couldn't have gotten a little more. How do you think Craig Conroy made out in this deal with, uh, with Jim Neal and the Stars? It can be hard to say sometimes because it really is hard to know what the market is. I mean, we can yeah. speculate it as fans or members of the media or et cetera, but it's just so hard to know for sure. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets, they did manage to get a first rounder for, or sorry, they traded a first rounder for Sean Monaghan. So maybe some people thought that was the market there, but situations can vary. I mean, Monaghan's a little bit younger Maybe he's a guy that the Winnipeg Jets think they could re-sign to a four- or five-year contract at the end of the season if, if they think he's a good fit. But with Tanev, you know, he's already 34. He's got a lot of heavy miles on him. You know, it's hard to know if there's going to be much demand for him as, like, a free agent come the summer. I mean, who knows how he's going to play or what his body's going to be like after a long playoff run. So maybe there isn't quite as much value there, but – you could also make the argument that maybe a, a second rounder and a, a good prospect who was recently taken in the second round, maybe that's a similar or equivalent value to a first round pick. But it is hard to say if the Flames could have gotten more. I mean, maybe they they run the risk of holding on to Tanev mm-hmm. right up to the deadline. What happens if he gets hurt, right? Yeah. Suddenly, what could have been a second and another pick or another prospect, suddenly there's no value because he's hurt and he can't play. Yeah, and I think another thing that was maybe a sticking point is that the Flames are, are retaining some money and that maybe thought, hey, that could get us a little bit more, maybe a higher level prospect. But again, we, we don't know the market. Uh, we don't know what's out there. I think people are like, oh, well, Ben Sherratt got a first a few years ago. Well, the, the league's different. Maybe the league's smartened up 
a little bit in that time. Do you, do you kind of get that sense where the GMs see trades in the past and they're like, well, that that shouldn't have been done. And now they're reevaluating. It's like this player and each team values players differently. But just do you think that maybe the league's gotten a little bit more uh, more astute with with these type of trades? I mean, it's certainly possible. Yeah, I mean, that Ben Chirot trade certainly doesn't look like a good one now. I mean, that that mm-hmm. was not something that really worked out. And there is always that risk when it comes to adding a, a rental at the deadline. So it's hard to say, really. I mean, sometimes you can get a first-round pick for a player, and sometimes you can't. And But, I mean, if, if Mon- it's, it's been obvious that Tana's been on the block for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Conroy has been very active talking to teams, and he's even said as much. So if if he really thought that he could get a first rounder for Tanev, I'm sure he would have done so. I mean, at this point, like he had some leverage, you know, Tanev was a player that was in high demand. And if there was an offer out there for a first rounder, I'm sure he would have taken it. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. And and an update uh, for on Chris Tanev. He's on, he will not make his debut tonight against Winnipeg. Hopeful that they'll be here on Saturday, but he'll probably will be joining the team on the upcoming California road trip as uh issue is getting the U.S. work immigration all sorted out. Uh, so that's that uh, with the Tanev stuff. Okay, so now the, the prospect that they got, Artem uh, Grushnikov. Uh, this is a, a second rounder, like taking, like you said, recently, very recently in the 2021 draft. Uh, what are they getting in this 20-year-old? Uh, very defensive-minded, he's rangy, but what are they getting in, in Artem here? Well, they're getting a player who kind of checks off all of the boxes that you want in a modern-day shutdown defenseman. So as, as a modern-day shutdown defenseman, you want a guy who's strong and physical and isn't afraid to get his hands dirty, you know, protecting his own net. But in today's NHL, you also want guys who have high-end skating ability. I mean, the league's only getting faster and more skilled. And if you're going to try to defend the brush mm-hmm. against a guy like Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon, you need guys who are not just rangy, but can also keep up with them. Guys who can, you know, shift gears and, and change direction and try and keep up with guys who are so much faster and shiftier. And with Grushnikov, he checks off all those kind of boxes. He's got some grit to him. He's physical. He's not afraid to, you know, get his hands dirty around the net. He's good at, uh, you know, clearing the crease in front and fighting in the corners. He's still a little on the skinny side, but mm-hmm. he's certainly filling out his frame quickly. He's also a really good skater. He's got long strides. He's got a lot of power. He's got good agility as well. He can weight shift and shift directions. He can, you know, move laterally. He's he's a sneaky good skater, actually. Uh, there were times where I wondered if there might be some more offense to his game because his skating ability is so good. But that's not really how he wants to play. And I think that's okay. But I think the main thing with him is he's really got that mentality for a shutdown defenseman. You know, sometimes you get players who are forced into shutdown roles out of necessity. Yeah. You know, they, they might not look comfortable. They might not want to, you know, dig in and put their body on the line and that sort of stuff. But with Grushnikov, he really takes pride in that kind of work. Like you can tell he actually likes doing it. He's, he's, he takes pride in being a shutdown defenseman. He's got a very competitive mindset. He's very driven. He's very upbeat. He's very positive. He doesn't back down from a challenge. So when you just kind of look at all the different things that he does well, he's definitely a guy that projects really, really nicely as a modern shutdown defenseman in the NHL one day. Uh, and I, I think people will find out the story of him driving the, driving the cab, helping out his family, and he, he's supporting them back home in Russia. He's a good guy that just, you know, he wants to get to the NHL, and he, just, he wants to make a paycheck, and he, he's a hard worker. So that's, that's a good story. And uh, we'll probably maybe see him in the lineup Friday, possibly, 
uh, in the Wranglers lineup when they uh, they take on the Colorado Eagles as he was in warm-ups yesterday uh, before getting yanked off the ice. Uh, how rare is it uh, to see a guy that wasn't much of a scorer in junior uh, out in Hamilton as a defender and then kind of keep that train going to the pros where you know where he's still a, a guy that teams think of that can be an NHL type player like how rare is it to see that because most guys think yeah we scored in junior and then they kind of transition to more of that role once they get to the pros. I mean, it is pretty rare, but it, it is still possible to find guys who just fill that niche. Yeah. I mean, the Calgary Flames are familiar that with, with something like that because they just moved out of Chris Tanev. Yeah. I mean, he's never been a guy who scored a lot of points at junior or mm-hmm. in college or now. Like, that's just never been his game, and, and that's okay because he's been such a good specialist at the defensive side of the puck. Now, with Krishnikov, too, one thing that I wanted to bring up that I don't think a lot of people have been talking about yet is he missed a lot of time in the prime years of his development because of the pandemic. Okay. Now, and this is a guy that, as a 16-year-old, is actually playing up in competition internationally with Russia. As a 16-year-old, he was playing a lot on their U18 team with a bunch of 17-year-olds, including, actually, a couple times, um, Yan Kuznetsov. Okay. Who's also within the Flame system. Yep. So they're former teammates. But he's a guy that the, the Russian national program thought really highly of because they were playing him up in age group. And then the, the pandemic hit, and he missed a whole year of hockey. So he's a guy that, you know, maybe there is more to his game because he was trending really, really well. Then, mm-hmm. you know, had to put a pause on things and then made the switch from Russia to North America. So his development hasn't exactly been linear. It hasn't been clean and smooth. So, you know, maybe there is more to his game that we're going to see eventually because maybe he's a little bit behind on his trajectory. Yeah, totally. There's so many of those guys coming out of that uh, 2020, 2021 draft years where you, you just don't know because you don't know where they played or, or you knew know where they played, but you don't know the situation because the pandemic affected so many leagues in, in different ways. Like you said, the OHL didn't even play uh, in, in 2020, mm-hmm. 2021. Uh, how do you think Tanev is going to be deployed out in Dallas? Feels like the right side uh, with Miro Heiskanen makes sense. You can shift him back over to the left. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, they've found a lot of chemistry recently with uh, Miro Heiskanen and young Thomas Harley on yeah. their top pair. Now they do have Heiskanen playing on his offside on the right, but they just have a lot of chemistry there. So maybe they'll keep that together. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Tanev played maybe with Essel and Dell as like a really, really dangerous shutdown pairing for the Stars because Lindell is, is already one of the better shutdown defensemen in the NHL right now. So pair him with Tanev, and it could be very, very good. Uh, maybe they play him with uh, Ryan Suter. He's another player on the Stars who plays a lot on the left side. So it's hard to say. What's nice about for, the, for the Stars, though, is that they've got options. You know, they can shift things around. They've got enough time now before the end of the season where they can try out a few different pairs and a few different roles and, kind of see what works but I, I mean the stars didn't you know spend this much to get Tanev to kind of hide him on the third pair of the number six defenseman exactly. he's going to be a guy who plays a lot especially on the penalty kill and they're going to really really try to let him you know maximize his ability to see exactly what he can bring especially come playoff time do you think this makes Dallas the the cup favorite to come out of the west uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Okay. It's hard to say. I mean, the Stars did get, you know, clobbered pretty bad by Colorado mm-hmm. the other night. Mm-hmm. but And Winnipeg, after the Monaghan trade, they're looking pretty good. But I think on paper, yeah, I would have to say the Stars. I mean, they're a team that went to the conference final last year. They've been pretty healthy overall this season. You know, they haven't had to worry too much about, you know, 
fitting guys into different spots on their roster. Uh, their biggest weakness was kind of defending, mm-hmm. and now they've got Tanev to fill that in. Colorado is still dangerous with McKinnon and Rantanen and McCarr, but, you know, they've had some injury troubles and some other issues, and, you know, that maybe they're not as deep as they were come their playoff run a couple of years yep. ago, and they don't really have the assets left to, you know, go out and make a big splash right now probably. So even as, as dangerous as Colorado is, I don't know if I would pick them over the Stars in the seven-game series. So if the Stars aren't the number one contender out of the West, they're certainly one of the best one or two the central race is going to be absolutely fascinating like winnipeg dallas they play uh play tomorrow or, or play tonight sorry and then like it's just like you want to be that one seed to avoid playing either one of colorado or dallas or winnipeg in that two three matchup you want to play that wild card because the central division race uh will be fascinating i think it's easily one of the best divisions in hockey uh so far uh how do you think the flames should approach now they've got the next ufa they've got noah hannafin and we've heard reports frank Cervalli yesterday with our pat steinberg saying that the the hannafin camp is essentially hijacked uh things that they're talking to the they're talking to the agent and seeing if he'll re-sign and maybe that's complicating things in the trade market here but how do you think that the flames are going to handle this hannafin trade because it almost feels like you need a first for noah hannafin yeah, and like I was saying earlier with Monaghan being younger than Tanev and maybe that played into his value, the same thing can be said about Hannafin. I mean, this is a guy who's got a lot of good hockey left ahead right. of him. And any team that's acquiring him, you know, they have the ability, if he's a good fit and he likes where he ends up, you know, he's a, he could sign an extension with that team and he could be someone that they have for another six or seven or maybe even eight years if they really want to go that far. So I think teams know that. I think that, they view Hannafin not just as a, a pure rental yeah. as a, they view him as a guy who could re up with the team in the future. So I think that's going to add to his value. And I think Conroy knowing that like he should be able to hold out for a first for Hannafin. Uh, he's a guy who's playing more than Tanev. He's just more overall well-rounded and he's just still in the prime years of his career, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of good hockey left out of Hannafin. So I would think given this market, that they, he should be able to get a first for Hannafin because it is a bit of a different situation than the situation with Hannafin. Uh, and one more uh, with you, uh, Derek. I didn't get a chance to ask you earlier in the week, but the Flames' first-round pick from last year, Samuel Hanzek, he's playing with the Vancouver Giants, uh, had some injury troubles at the start of the year, but he's uh, doing all right right now. He's uh, a little over a point per game, 25 points in 24 games on on a Giants team that you know maybe isn't uh, the best team to, to go out and play in the WHL. But what are the next steps for Samuel Hanzek? Where should he be heading into to training camp uh, in 2024 here? Well, I, I think you should be looking at a full year in the AHL next season. Okay. It just hasn't been a, a great year for him this year. Well, and, and some things are out of his control. I mean, he was hurt. That's out of his control. The Giants are not a very good team. They've actually kind of struggled a lot this yeah. year. No one has really seemed to kind of find their groove on that club. They've got a brand-new head coach. So they've been running into some issues. And I think he just needs a little bit more time to grow and to play and to find his game. I mean, you put him in the AHL next year with the Wranglers, you could probably slot him in as a top six forward playing, you know, 18 to 20 minutes a night. And I think that's going to be what's best for him. Cause mm-hmm. he also missed a lot of time last year due to injury as well. Yeah. He's a guy with a very, very high ceiling and there's a lot of potential there, but he just hasn't had the opportunity to really grow his game and develop as much as you'd like to see. And I think next year, putting him in the AHL, 
he'll get a lot more opportunity to develop and trying to find a home for him in the bottom six on the Flames. Is there any chance he can come over at the end of the dub season, or does he have to stick out there? Oh, no, he could come over. Okay. Yeah, yeah. once the season's done, um, he could come play for the Wranglers and maybe even the Flames, they have a couple games left. That is something that can happen with uh, with guys once their seasons are done. So, okay. yeah, I mean, if the Wranglers just want to go on a, a decent playoff run or are able to, you know, getting Ponzek into the roster is something that we could see. Well, that would definitely uh, help him and help out the Wranglers and, uh, and get some eyes on him here in the local market. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for, uh, for taking some time talking this uh, Tanev trade uh, with us and uh, all the best. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk uh, I'm sure here uh, very soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Patrick. No problem. There you go. Derek Newmeyer, assistant director of scouting and head Western scout over at McKean's hockey. Uh, yeah, that was a busy, busy show. Uh, breaking down the Chris Tanev trade. Didn't you GVP your, your quick thoughts here on, on this trade as we, uh, as we close down the show. I mean, it's super hard. I know that fan fans necessarily want to say whether or not the Flames lost the trade immediately after the fact. Like that's only going to unfold as, as time goes on here. I I don't think that Craig Conroy got robbed by by any means. Like I know that a lot of people necessarily wanted to see a first round pick for for Chris Tanev, but that just hasn't been the market right now yep. at the trade deadline. So I I think that. Craig Conroy has done his due diligence on on every trade that he's pulled the trigger on as GM of the Calgary Flames, and I think he did that again here. So I think he was doing what was best for the Flames and what's best for the Flames for the for the next uh, little run here. I'm in I'm in the opinion that you, you got a second round pick in a draft that is essentially a crapshoot after 30. Yeah. Um. You get a, a prospect who's still finding his way that the Flames obviously covet uh, that they fit that he can think fit well into what they want to do going forward. It's it's it, you got something for a guy that uh, they tried to resign. He yeah. didn't want to resign, and who knows? I know George brought it up there at the at the end of the uh, the the main show. And could you see Tanev resigning? Probably not. It feels like this is a guy that's probably wanting to go try and and, and win nowadays. And yeah. we do, and we know what the Flames are heading into next year. But I think, yeah, it's underwhelming, sure, because we we as fans, as as Flames fans, you'll always want to value your players more. And you'll hear like, oh yeah, you definitely get a first for him, and because he was the best defensive defenseman, yeah. on the market. But he... and, and every single person that we've had on, or even the discussions that you know, me, you, George, and Maddie have said, it's like it's going to take a bidding war to get this done for a first round pick, mm-hmm. and that just didn't seem to happen. Yeah, I just Come don't... push or shove like that just didn't happen. I just I just don't think like Dallas really was the one team that that set themselves up that were like they wanted to get Tanev. It was the it was Toronto, Humden, Hawd, Vancouver tried to get him in the Lindholm deal, but all those teams weren't going to part ways with what you think that they were like, the Calgary got. I think you can get the second here, you get the potential of a third in 2026 if they make the Cup final, and you get a player who's young and is still finding his way in the NHL. I think it's it's like I'm not going to too like, soon to yeah. judge on this trade because it's a guy that you got you got something for a guy that was leaving. Right, and I'm not going to act I'm an expert on Artem Grishnikov's game or anything, but it sounded like this is a a player that Conroy had his eye on for a long time. Oh, yeah. and, and like the Wranglers or the Flames prospect system as a whole needs some more defensive defensemen. Yep. And, and you're filling a need that way too. So I, I, I think it was a pretty good move in all, in all things, considering uh, the fact that that is a 34 year old UF, UFA that, you know, ha- has his uh, cons to his game in, in terms of, of injury. And that can provide a, a certain amount of risk when you're trying to move that player. So I, I, I think it was a, 
a decent move, and only time will tell to see how it ages, right? Exactly, and, and uh, we all know Dallas is getting uh, one hell of a player that uh, will only help their pursuit for Lord Stanley. Uh, it'll help it out a ton as this team, like you heard, they were in a conference final last year and lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. Uh, what a show. Thank you to all our guests, uh, Jason Bukala, Megan Mickelson, Greg Wachinski, Alex Gagne-Ruzik, and Derek Neumeyer. All those interviews are up on our Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to GVP and Connor for making us sound oh so good. The Jeff Merrick Show is up next, and uh, ooh, we got a we got a we got a show. Uh, Eric Francis will join the program at ten o'clock. Craig Conroy, Flames General Manager, will be on the show at ten thirty-five. Elliot joins the program at eleven, and Brian Ray, uh, Stars Analyst, at eleven thirty-five. I believe Brian Ray is going to be on Sportsnet today as well uh, with Logo later on today talking uh, the Tanev trade and how he's going to fit into the lineup. Whatever you do the rest of the day, enjoy it. It's a beautiful day. Weather turns tomorrow. Stay safe out there. Keep it locked right here. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.